wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow all right it is time for your weekly grape encounter and i'll tell you what i have really been chomping at the bit to talk about what we're going to be talking about today actually it is a common thread in probably every episode of grape encounters as you know we are the unpretentious wine show and i have always called myself a wine maverick because i just don't like the language that generally is spoken in the wine business but at the same time i don't like to dumb down wine either There are so many different people that are listening to my show, and some of you are winemakers, and some of you are just casual wine drinkers, and you're happy with your $8 bottle of wine. I always tell you, you know what? If you love it, drink it. Don't let anybody tell you that you're doing the wrong thing, because it's your life. You can do what you want with it. And by the way, it's your wine. You paid for it. (laughs) So that being said, we all know there's this mumbo-jumbo lingo that we speak in the wine business. It kind of reminds me of the computer business. Like, I never know what the heck they're talking about when somebody like Cisco Systems or Intel puts out some kind of a press release. It's all Greek to me. And for a lot of people, when you go into your wine shop and you read those little shelf talkers and it talks about the wine having hints of cassis and saddle leather and barnyard and berries and stewed plums or whatever it is, you just scratch your head and go, ooh, I don't know if I really want to drink barnyard. Anyway, there is a press release that came across my desk about about a book that is just being released. It's called Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. It's really not meant for the wine industry, I think. It certainly wasn't intended for that. But the author is on the line with me now from T3 Custom. His name is Kevin Lund. And there's some real coincidences here that we're going to talk about in a second, too. But Kevin, welcome to the show. I couldn't be happier to have you on. David, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be on. So let's first start by talking about who the book is really intended for. The industry of content marketing is really what this was born out of. And there's the old phrase, content is king. And while that worked for a couple of decades now, since the 90s, back in the information age, when it was in its heyday, anybody could put something on the internet and people would read it because of the novelty of the internet. Um, But over time, millions and millions, if not billions of pieces of content have led to this commoditized 
industry of sorts. And now that companies are content publishers too, you're competing in a huge landscape for eyeballs. It could be in the wine industry, it could be in the financial industry, it could be any industry. Content marketing is today's advertising in the digital age. So in order to be able to get seen, you have to have something cool to say and something that stands out in all of these different messages. So there's a lot of books on content marketing and how to put together content marketing programs for businesses, but there's not a lot of information on how to actually conduct a conversation inside your content, how to write the words, how to connect with your audience, and how to be a little bit different and speak human. And it's quite effective both as a business book and maybe even a life book for teaching people how to communicate with each other. And I think it's so frustrating when you go online now. It reminds me of an experience I had when I was in Turkey at a rug market. And what I mean by that is there's so much clutter and confusion. You're on edge, literally trying to find content that is really going to be relatable for you. But you've got all these drop down things and pop up things and very insincere ploys that are used online where you start going down a a rabbit hole and you find out after 10 minutes of searching, you're nowhere near what it was that you were looking for. That's a terrible world. That is part of the problem. I mean, there is a whole science behind how to get placed and how to get people to your content. In this book, I've ditched that. I've ditched the numbers and dare I say I've ditched the data. There's a lot of data to support what I'm talking about, but at the end of the day, my own company was founded on the idea that we really need to teach people how to have a conversation with one person. It doesn't matter if you're trying to reach an audience of a million people. You're trying to reach one person at a time across the digital divide. So there's somebody on a cell phone, somebody on a computer, somebody maybe reading an article, and you don't want it to be confusing. But the tricks that companies are using to get customers to your content, that's one thing. But then when they get to that content, if you actually are lucky enough to get somebody to read your article through whatever tricks have been used to get them there, you better have something unique to say because you really have one shot at that handshake moment. Absolutely true. Well, bringing this back to wine for a second, as I said before at the beginning, it's a really, really sad world, I think, in the wine industry, although it's getting better in a way. There are certainly people that are paying attention or are trying to make the conversation more human. But we use, for instance, incredible metaphors in the business, which I'm certainly not against metaphors. Somebody once said, sell the sizzle, not the steak. And if you can tell somebody how a wine makes you feel and you're accurate about that, well, that's probably a good thing. There's this one, I wanted to share this with you. This was a metaphor that was actually used by a wine writer back in, well, it's about a 2001 Batard Montrachet. And the author writes, this rich, corpulent offering reveals lush layers of chewy, buttered popcorn flavors, medium-bodied and extroverted. This is a streetwalker of a wine, <laughs> making up for its lack of class and refinement with its well-rounded, sexually charged assets. I want to buy a case of that. <laughs> yeah, he just scared me away. Scared you away? I know, because I'm left asking the question, well, what does it taste like? Chewy buttered popcorn? You know? What about who the audience is in that? That's an interesting one, because when you really think about that, that person speaking to a very specific audience, they're almost afraid to, dare I say, dumb it down to the rest of the world. So if you're a winemaker trying to get somebody to taste, a million people to taste your wine versus a very specific niche, you're not speaking in a language anybody like myself understands. I'm not a con- but I enjoy wine. I live in uh, part of Washington that's full of wines. So hey, I, oh, hold it! I, hey, I, I hey, hey, Kevin, you're you're spoiling the surprise here. 
Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Now I got to jump in here because this was this was the crazy thing, okay? I I didn't know where you were in the world because we talked to people all over the country and all over the world. And then as I was doing a little bit of, of Googling of you, I find out you're in Woodenville, Washington. My that's gosh, right. that's, that's like right. – that's... We, we, we claim to be the mini Napa Valley of Washington. No here. doubt about it. It's one of the great wine regions in America. And so uh, what are the odds that the guy that I'm going to talk to about conversation marketing as it relates to wine is in one of the best, one of my favorite wine regions? Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of fun here. It's oh a lot guys. of fun. Here. Uh, what, a, what a coincidence. Are you always from Washington? Have you always been from Washington? No, I'm actually originally from California. So I'm a transplant from about 25 years ago. In fact, I think, you know, maybe even to the day I moved up here about 25 years ago. Well, congratulations for escaping. Yes, I know. I, I, I feel very lucky and blessed. <laughs> yeah, well, California. I'm in the. I'm on the central coast of California, which is a, a wonderful, lovely place in oh, wine, yeah. in wine country. But so, so you undoubtedly then know what I'm talking about because you know. And I think I would say this about Washington. Washington is a lot more low key where wine is concerned than Napa Valley is going to be, but. You're still going to walk into a tasting room and there's going to be that person behind the counter that's going to talk to you about terroir. They're going to talk to you about which direction the wind blows and the clone varietals that were used and and things like this. And a lot of the time, the person behind on the other side of the bar genuinely wants to hear that. But a lot of time they don't. I would imagine the person sitting on the other side of the counter, you can ask me questions all day long about... The, you know, using jargon or wine language, but at the end of the day, I'm buying a wine because I might have a party next week, or I, I, I'm, I'm exploring these wines, and I'm going to relate my experience with wine to everyday life and what I do and how I like to have fun, and that's something that anybody selling wine or being involved in the industry should be thinking, too. It's not that you can't speak jargon, but you have to really understand who's in front of you talking yes, to you as well. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right. My guest is Kevin Lund. He is the author of Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. The book is uh, just coming out right now. I think you can get it on Amazon, right? Exactly. Okay, very good. Hey, listen, Kevin, stay with me. We've got lots more to talk about. Thanks for uh, joining us today, everybody. And uh, we're trying to talk just to you. We're not talking to, you know, a million people. Just you, the person that's on the other end of this microphone. We'll be back in just a second with more Grape Encounters. Grape Encounters is 100% estate grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. Did you know that you can visit us in person, right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. 
If there's one thing I can tell you about Grape Encounters, it's that we try to speak human here. And my guest today is Kevin Lund, and he is the author of a brand spanking new book. It's called Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. I think there are a couple of industries that just blow it big time when it comes to speaking human, but in my own industry, the wine industry, it's why I started the show for Pete's sake, because I got so frustrated that we can't just enjoy the wine. There's a good friend of mine, his name is Wes Hagen, he's been on the show many times, and Wes says that wine should be a social social lubricant to stimulate conversation about everything except the wine. (laughs) I can't think of any product that, you know, we sit down and we drink it and all we do is talk about it. It's like, well, let's talk about the mashed potatoes for Pete's sake. Those are good too. Anyway, Kevin, I'm glad to have you on. We're going to... Oh, thanks, David. Glad to be here. We're going to irritate a few people today, but... Oh, I love it. This is exactly what what you need to be saying. I'm right there with you. You know, I don't know if my listeners really know this, but I spent a really good uh, long amount of my career before I started doing this show in marketing. And sort of the hallmark of my agency was that we wanted to try to relate to people in a language that they could understand and speak to them one-on-one and not be so pretentious and highfalutin. But when you talk to a really great winemaker, they speak a really down-to-earth language and they don't speak in all these metaphors and in the complexities, which certainly there are many of them there. And it's good to know those things. And the more I know about those complexities, the better. But there are times where I just want to enjoy it for what it is and bring the whole conversation down to earth. Yeah, I think you're right. I actually had the privilege of going to to Salem, Oregon last October and got to meet a couple of the wine farmers there. And it's a really down-to-earth group of people that actually grow the grapes. And when you're talking to them, they're not speaking in this language that you fear. They are speaking human to you, and it's because they're farmers and they're regular people. And they're not trying to be pretentious or scare you away from anything. And when you're talking one-on-one with somebody, that's exactly what you need to take into consideration. It seems like the people who are speaking jargon and trying to impress you are, in fact, maybe those writing up the magazine articles or those in the wine shops trying to sell you on on the high notes and all the different words you were describing before. But yeah, you really do need to spend time understanding your audience and understanding who you're talking to. Okay, so I really want there to be a strong takeaway for our consumers. Now, obviously, we have people that listen that are in the industry, lots of people that tune into the show, and I appreciate that. But for the consumer, I want them to be able to put all of this in perspective. And by the way, this isn't an indictment of an industry. In any industry, we develop our own lingo and we start foisting it upon people because we're comfortable with it and we expect them to be comfortable with it. But in in reality, they're not. And it's very off-putting. But in some industries, do you think it's some kind of intimidation tactic? You know, it's ironic, actually, because it does scare people away talking like that. And if you're trying to grow your business, you're not really helping yourself by making your the customers who don't really understand the industry that you're in to scare them away. It doesn't do them any good. So there's really two things to take away from here is if you're a customer, if you're somebody who wants to drink wine or you're going to go buy wine for a party and you know nothing about wine, you're going to go to the wine shop and you're going to want to talk to somebody. And the first thing you want to ask them is, hey, here's what I'm doing. You're not going to ask them any technical questions about the wine. You're going to go in there and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm having a party. I've got so many guests. 
here's my budget. What do you recommend? And that's a human conversation. That has nothing to do with snobbery or anything else. And the person who's answering the question should be taking that into account. And if they don't answer your question directly with a reciprocation of what you're asking, like, oh, okay, well, where is this going to be held? Is it formal? Is it casual? Is it for your friends? Is it for a a drunken night out? Exactly. (laughs) You know, what's really funny is that this has certainly happened to me, too, back when I was just uh, a wine consumer and not doing the show, that I would go into a wine shop and they'd have a couple hundred wines in there and they would steer me toward the more expensive wine, which is, I think, totally inappropriate. But you're fearful of saying, you know, I only want to spend 20 bucks or 30 bucks. And when you say that and somebody comes back to you and says, well, the $80 wine is going to be much better for what you're doing, then it begs the question, why? Why in this shop do you have 20 and $30 bottles of wine? If you don't want to sell them to me, you want to sell me the more expensive one. You know? Yeah, that's similar in any industry, or even like real estate. When you go to buy a home and you say, "Hey, I want to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a house," and they show you a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home and then try to get you to three hundred, it's the same thing. The thing about wine, and I can say this from experience, I really don't know how much a bottle of wine would cost me depending on what I want because I've seen anything right. from ten dollars bottles of wine on up to two hundred dollars bottles of wine. And not being a connoisseur, I may not know the difference. So I do want somebody to take into consideration what I'm trying to do with the wine, what I want to get from it, and at some point consider the fact that I might want to come back and buy from you again. So you make a really super good point because, and and I've said this so many times, that I'm perfectly content to go to a backyard barbecue where they're serving a $10 bottle of wine, and maybe it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's perfectly suitable for the occasion. We're going to drink more of that than we might a fine wine and get kind of silly and, and all that. And in that context, I'm great with that. And there are some really good $10 bottles of wine. I don't judge wine by the price. I think the predicament that consumers get themselves into is showing fear when they get into a situation like that and having the word pray plastered across their forehead. It's okay to not know about wine, but you need to let the person know that you're a sharp cookie. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're a smart person. Is, is shame. There's, yeah. there's, as a consumer, I feel a little ashamed if I don't know something going in and somebody's saying, for example, if I say, hey, what about a box wine? That might be the biggest joke to the person on the other side of the counter. But at the end of the day, it's like you said at the beginning of the conversation, it's your wine. Enjoy it. Does it matter if it comes in a box? Show me the best brands of box wine if that's what I need or if that's what I'm asking for. I might be having a, a backyard party where I don't want bottles to break all over the case and there's little kids around, but I don't need to explain that to you. So something to consider is the shaming component too. And I know that a lot of consumers who don't understand the wine industry feel that when they talk to somebody who is trying to talk them into that expensive bottle. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we're talking to Kevin Lund. He is the author of a brand spanking new book called Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. It's a book that's, I think, long overdue, although there are some other books on the subject, but I really like the way you go through this. I actually want to dive into some of the chapters that you have, but your company is T3 Custom, happens to be located in Woodenville, Washington, which is a wonderful wine country. And I just think if there's any place where we need some education, both as a consumer and as winemakers and wine sellers, this is it. Uh, There are lessons here that we really need to learn. I I do, Kevin, want to focus on empowering the consumer too, if we can, when we come back, if that's okay. 
Absolutely. All Thanks, right. Dave. All right. We're going to be back with more Crave Encounters right after this with my very special guest, Kevin Lund. Oh, by the way, check out his website. It's um, T3Custom.com. This website is awesome, by the way, and it's Thank won you. a whole bunch of awards, and I can understand why. If you want to see a website that really communicates well, it's a great example. We'll be back with more Crave Encounters right after this. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. And your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and my special guest, Kevin Lund. And boy, Kevin and I have a lot more in common than I realized. It's strange that we would actually be doing this story because when his PR agency put out the press release, I don't think they were thinking wine shows, Kevin. Well, maybe not, but you know, it takes into account every industry, so. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, and uh, probably the one thing people in every industry have in common is most of them drink wine. So yeah, that's there you it. go. It's very difficult in the wine business to differentiate yourself from everybody else because there are so dad-blasted many wines out there. One of the first things that you guys talk about is the idea of earning attention and then telling a story, both of which are similar things. When you go into a wine store or wherever you get your wine and you look at the shelf there's been this mass exodus from the conventional wine label, and now we have all of these wine labels that seek to be incredibly clever. And one of the things that saddens me about it is so many of those clever labels are created by marketing teams that know nothing about wine or what's in that bottle or to communicate really clearly what the wine is all about. So you get these just abstract concepts on the label. And I think that's kind of a disservice to the wine consumer. Your thoughts? Well, it's disingenuous. And it almost speaks to the idea of you're not telling a story. You're actually trying to gimmick your way into getting somebody to buy wine. And it would be to the unsuspecting consumer like myself. So if I'm looking at a row of wine, there's a hundred different brands, and I know that I want a red or a Pinot, I'm going to look at them and what am I judging it on? If I don't have any help from the store clerk or somebody who's sitting there and I've got to pick something, you're taking a risk. If I like the label and I go for the label, which I might do, if your wine is terrible and it doesn't really speak to the label, I don't know how I'm going to buy it again. I don't know how I'm going to remember you just because you have a gimmicky label. So that's all part of that visual storytelling that we get into in the book as well. Okay, so how does that mesh with your idea? And here's a a, a quote pertaining to your book. It says, to gain attention in today's crowded marketplace, it's prudent to do the opposite of what most everyone else is doing. That means don't deliver the cliched, boring content. And, And that, in fact, is what they're doing with those labels is trying to differentiate from everybody else. But... I think in doing that, you still have to be accurate, don't you, in communicating 
what you are. You do have to be accurate. And the interesting thing about what you're talking about is that whole thing with the labels may have worked, but then everybody jumped on the bandwagon. I can see now you're now you've got all these sort of creative ways of doctoring up a label, and then you have the traditional ways. So now they're sitting side by side. So there really is no differentiation anymore because you have just as many novelty labels as there are traditional labels. So now they're all part of the same choices. And the way, at least from where we are, what we talk about, say, in the book, there was actually a mention of Jordan Vineyards. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they did a really interesting campaign. They completely broke out of the norm, and they started a video channel on YouTube. They filmed the folks making the wine, they filmed the labelers, they filmed the executive team, and they did a version of Despacito. And they kind of poked fun, and they they did this sort of weird Al Yankovic type of thing to it, and they got 20,000 followers out of it, and suddenly they were on the map because of this originality, and they wanted to have fun, and they were actually talking about lifestyle, and they made it seem like working there was fun. And they didn't get to anything about wine and what it tastes like. They weren't shooting bottles of wine next to fruit and plates of food. It was just about the people that make the wine and the fun that they're having and trying to foster a certain culture and relay that type of culture to the audience. That's how they differentiated. So it's not just at the store on a label, but it's also how you're messaging yourself to the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday about the connection between personality, that is, of the winemaker and the wine itself. And I've always said this, give me a couple hours with the winemaker without even tasting the wine. I'll know what the wine's going to taste like because they put their personality into the bottle and just as an artist puts their personality onto a canvas. It's important to tell the story. And I think it does also, it creates a, a relationship between the product and the consumer that wouldn't otherwise be there. Otherwise, it's just a bottle of wine. I always use this example and I should probably get some other ones, but there's a wine out. It's called Little Black Dress. And I've never had the wine. I don't know what it tastes like. I don't take any exception to the name other than the fact that I'm not buying that wine to take to a poker game with the guys. Not gonna, oh, yeah. I won't show up with little black dress. They've taken their market and they've narrowed it down really to not just women, but a certain type of woman. And I just wonder if that's a bad strategy because, I mean, is it a feminine wine? Is it a wine that they've tested on women and they women like it better? These kinds of things frustrate me a bit. Again, not an indictment of the company. They can do what they want. It's their brand. But can you share a thought or two on that? You know, one of the things I do actually talk about is I'm, I take a little bit of an opposite opinion, and it's only because what they're trying to do is drive a niche market. They probably figured that, hey, we've got an idea for a wine. We've got an idea for a niche, and this is really important. If you're going to go into a crowded marketplace, how are you going to compete with everything that's out there? I mean, you've got thousands of different brands to choose from. So if you want to go into a niche market, that you probably have a better chance of penetrating a niche market with some creative marketing, build up your brand, get a little bit of a following, start to make a name for yourself and then branch out. So it actually can be valuable. It's actually one of the ways that we started our business too, my firm T3. And of course, we started in a different industry. I couldn't compete with the large publishers, but I could compete in the niche that I had come from, which was really educating investors. I'm rolling over on this one. I'm going with what you're saying here, because when I think about it, I feel a niche as well. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. In fact, I'm nobody's cup of tea. I'm everybody's glass of wine. But anyway, I feel a niche for people who just want to have the kind of conversation that you 
you and I are having here. And so I guess I shouldn't really be critical of that. But I do want to offer one caveat, which is this, that if you're going to provide an image or a story about a wine, let it please reflect what's in the bottle. It needs to mirror what's in the bottle because what's going to happen is if somebody opens up that bottle and they don't get that sort of feeling that you're trying to project on the label, you're never going to get another sale from them. I agree. If you're going to target a niche, you need to speak the language of that niche. And there's going to be a higher set of expectations for the quality of the product and what you're going to deliver. So it really better match what you're saying. So if you're promising something and you're not necessarily promising what it's going to taste like, but you're promising that it's going to make them feel a certain way. You're promising that they're going to be a part of a, a, maybe it's part of a subculture by drinking little black dress. And somehow you're sort of targeting that mindset. You've got to be careful to make sure that the product matches that. So I agree. But what is the role of setting expectations where all of this is concerned? Because there have been a lot of studies in the wine industry and other industries where, you know, when we tell somebody that a wine is an expensive, award-winning wine with high scores and we put it in front of people blind and what actually is in the bottle or in their glass is just a, a cheap table wine, they'll give glowing reviews of the wine oftentimes And then when we reverse the scenario where we have a great wine, but we tell them it's a a cheap table wine, they'll pan it. So setting expectations is a very real thing. If we think something's going to be good, it's human nature to actually feel that it's good, even if under different circumstances, we wouldn't like it. Yeah, setting expectations is is really... It's so interesting. It's exactly what you say. You know, you can set the right expectation or you can set the wrong expectation based on what you say. And really what it comes down to is being honest. You know, if you, you have to sound honest and genuine. You, you can't sound like you're trying to pitch. You, you really do want to go to market saying exactly who you are. If you're an inexpensive wine, but you think that you're, you're, you're an inexpensive wine that tastes like it should be at the expensive table, then say that, you know, but don't hide behind, you know, a, an expensive looking bottle with a cheap glass, with a cheap wine inside. And that is about being genuine and just being truthful. And that goes back to, you know, ditching your ego um, and, you know, knowing a thing or two about wine, you know, knowing a thing or two about your audience and really understanding how your audience is going to receive your message. Oh, that's such an important point. And we were going to end our conversation here, but I want to keep you on for a couple minutes longer because I so want to dive into that particular topic because I think that is just uh, the ultimate key to success, both from a consumer standpoint and from the standpoint of somebody that's selling a product. So we're going to take a little break here, a little breather. I'm going to invite you to go pour yourself a little of that Woodenville wine there in Washington uh, while we take a commercial break and we'll come right back and talk about the book Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customers by Speaking Human, especially in the wine industry with my guest, Kevin Lund. I want to do you a favor. Write down two words or get Siri or Alexa to remember them for you. The words are peak, that's P-E-A-K-E, ranch. 
Now, over the past 10 years that I've been talking on all things wine, my product endorsements have definitely been few and far between. That's because I'm not just a wine journalist. I'm also a wine critic and a wine judge, and I've got a reputation. Not that kind of reputation. Anyway, the wines of Peak Ranch would easily win a gold medal from me in any blind tasting. They're a small boutique label making wines from grapes grown on one of California's most legendary properties. The Pinots, the Chardonnays, and Syrahs are going to absolutely blow your mind. And because Peak Ranch is a new name to most wine enthusiasts, they're priced well below the price they'll likely command as more and more of you see the remarkable scores and reviews they're getting from the world's toughest critics, including myself. Log on to PeakRanch.com, read their story, and buy a bottle or two or three. Each varietal is a masterpiece. Now, I've never had a single listener ever write me to say that they were not impressed with any recommendation I've made. These wines are huge winners. Get yours online at PeakRanch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues... We're in the home stretch of Grape Encounters Radio. I am so enjoying this conversation with Kevin Lund, the author of Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. By the way, we're talking offline during the commercial, and Kevin and I found out that we lived in the same town, that we hung out near the same beaches in Malibu. You're a surfer, man. I Are am, you still I surfing? Am. I do, but I surf across the world now. Uh, I don't bullfight anymore, too. I gave that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't surf a lot, but you know, the last time I surfed happened to be on an international trip, so Keep going, <laughs> I get yeah. to say I'm an international surfer now. Kevin, I, I had an experience. I don't think I've ever told this story on the air, but when I was in the marketing business uh, some years ago, I had the opportunity to go out and interview Sir Richard Branson at his home in London. Oh, wow. And it was for something we were doing with the World Trade Center. And a couple of weeks after that, Sir Richard was speaking to this huge, huge convention for Cisco Systems in Las Vegas. And his assistant called and said, Sir Richard would love to invite you to come to this event. And little did I I know that there were like 12,000 people there, some of them by satellite. But anyway, they were passing the microphone around and giving people the opportunity to ask him a question. And somebody said, Sir Richard, what do you think the biggest mistake is that people make? And he kind of got a smirk on his face and he said, I don't know if I really want to answer this question because you guys are probably the worst offenders. And the audience kind of laughed, you know, and got quiet. But then he explained, he said, you know, when you release a product, you talk a language that nobody understands and you assume that they do. He says, I'm going to give you all a little advice. Next time you come out with a new product, send it to me. I'm dyslexic. If I can understand it, then you can go ahead and release it. Fantastic. It was it was a great moment for me. But I think that one of the things that we just assume in the wine business especially is, I shouldn't say we assume it, we don't take the time to measure the level of understanding that somebody has. And more than that, I think that the consumer thinks that if they reveal their card that they're just a casual wine drinker and they don't have the education that somebody else might, that they're going to be looked down upon. And that's really not the truth at all. I think that people who are helping you with wine, generally speaking, they're pretty nice people. 
The pretentious people are few and far between. It's the guy with a new Tesla and a new girlfriend that you should be worried about. But if you, as a consumer, if you will tell the person that's helping you what your level of expertise is and be honest and don't be intimidated and don't stand there looking like you don't have a brain, they'll treat you really fairly and they'll do everything they possibly can to help you. But just as important is for the person who's behind the counter, ask them. Don't assume. That's a really good point. The hardest part in a relationship between the seller and the buyer is creating common ground. And you know more than the buyer, possibly, or the buyer may know more than you. But if the buyer comes in, if you don't know, you have to establish a relationship and a rapport. And that starts with your handshake. We call it handshake moments in the book. You know, what is your handshake moment going to look like? Are you going to start talking jargon? Are you going to make them feel stupid for not understanding? But you as a customer also have a responsibility to help the person on the other side of the counter know what it is, what you bring to the table too. So we don't want to put all the pressure on the business. There is some responsibility as a, as a, as a person buying the wine to say, hey, I need help and give, and give the information such as I'm inexperienced. I'm a novice drinker. I don't know anything about it. I couldn't tell you the difference between a $10 bottle and a $100 bottle, but I have friends who I need to buy this for who, who might. I don't have a large budget. It's going to a party. It's black tie. Whatever it is that they need to yes. know, yes, you need to tell yes, them. Yes. And then the other side of the, the equation is the, is the person selling the wine should really look at what they're saying and not try to have an agenda. Don't try to sell a bottle of wine. Try to get involved in the story that's being told and help them. The smartest thing a consumer can do, I think, is, I mean, you know how much you have to spend. And don't let anybody talk you into spending more than you want to spend. If you're going out, you're buying a gift or you're bringing wine to an event, you need to explain a little bit about the people you're bringing the wine to and the setting, all of that. And you can say, look, I only have $40 to spend or $30 to spend. And if in fact that's undercutting things, then hopefully the person's going to be honest with you and say, you know what, you're only going to embarrass yourself with a $30 bottle if these are in fact a bunch of bankers that are sitting around used to doing this. Maybe you'd be better off to bring a little bottle of port or something. Bring them a, a fancy corkscrew. The more that you can help the person who's selling you the wine, the more they can help you. And I've said this before, when you go into a tasting room, if you don't want to hear the whole story about the wine, please tell them that because it's really a courtesy to the wine seller who's got to do that pitch all day long, maybe a hundred times a day, right? If they don't have to tell the story, don't make them do it. But the other thing I'd add to that is, remember, if you are selling a bottle of wine, you're not just selling a bottle of wine, you're selling an experience. So it's the whole package, including you. So a $30 bottle of wine that comes the additional corkscrew or some extra information or some collateral that they can take home to help educate them. If you know that person doesn't understand wine, maybe you give them something. Let them know that it's a relationship beyond just a transaction. And who knows, maybe that bottle of wine creates a memory and that memory is attached to a positive experience when they bought the wine. So they go back to you over and over again. Yeah. And you know what? There's always, and you know this from living in Woodenville, there are so many little hidden gems out there when you're going to an important party. There are plenty of small producers that have that $30 bottle of wine, it's always, when in doubt, bring something very obscure. <laughs> That's what I say. You know, yeah. Don't try to go get a wine that you're going to impress that person with because they know it's a Camus or Screaming Eagle or something like that. Instead, make a little discovery that they'll enjoy. All right, so we got a minute to wrap up here. Kevin, okay. give me the most important words of wisdom for the consumer and for the wine seller, and then we'll tell people where to get the book. Well, I think we've said it a lot on the call. For the consumer, don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to share your experience and come back and let them know what your experience was. And for the seller, don't sell a product. Sell experience. 
try to remember that you're impacting somebody's life. Even in that small moment, you are impacting somebody's life, whether it's right there in the moment or whether you're putting content out on the internet. Don't sell a product. Give them an experience. Elaborate on, on giving them an experience. It's really more about educating them. So if you talk about features and benefits, you're just part of the noise. But if you tell a story and talk about how the wine might impact them in a positive way, how is your wine, how is that experience going to help them in life? I know that sounds like a grand ideal, but wine is lifestyle. And there's millions and millions of moments that have been recorded over bottles of wine or glasses of wine, whether it's marriage proposals or something like that. So just know that you're going to be a part of an experience. And maybe the experience hasn't been created yet, but you can set the stage and start the story for them. All righty. Well, the book is Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. I think the title says it all. The author is Kevin Lund. You can uh, find the book on Amazon and you can find Kevin at uh, T3Custom. That is the website. Uh, If you're in any kind of industry, I think this is a good place to go hang out for a little while online. Uh, You're going to be very impressed with the content there. And Kevin, I can't thank you enough. It's really been fun talking to you. David, my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I'm coming to Woodenville. I hope so. Well, it's been fun having Kevin on. It's been a a blast talking to you all out there today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we're into our 10th year with Grape Encounters. And some of you have been with us from day one. So hopefully we're speaking your language. We'll be back here speaking the same language next week.